0: You're listening to HR Market Watch here on the HR Happy Hour Network. I'm your host, George LaRock. HR Market Watch puts a special lens on new and innovative HR technology from emerging and established technology companies. Join me on my quest to find what workforce trends and what technology really matter to the world of work in HR. Learn more about the trends and the technology we discuss at hrwins.com and find more HR Market Watch episodes on the HR Happy Hour Network at hrhappyhour.net. Hello and welcome to another edition of HR Market Watch here on the HR Happy Hour Network. I want to thank you all for listening and also thanks to everyone for their feedback from the last edition. There was a lot of support for HR Market Watch from the global HR tech community and I was just, I'm always humbled by that. And there was also a lot of interest from folks about being a guest. Now, if you're in HR, in any size company, and are doing something innovative or interesting, or if you're in HR technology and doing the same, and you'd like to be a guest on HR Market Watch, please email me at hrmw at hrwins.com. Again, that's hrm like market, w like watch at hrwinds.com or go to hrwinds.com click on get in the hr wins on the main menu and use that quick form to send me a note either way tell me what you'd like to talk about and we'll take it from there all right now today in this edition i've got another great interview for you this time i'll be talking to roger philby the ceo of the chemistry group now the chemistry group got a lot of attention at the 2016 hr tech conference and exhibition in chicago they were one of the two tech firms that I chose and coached in the HR tech mega session, finding the next great HR technology. They came in third out of eight vendors that were presenting, and that's pretty awesome. They have thousands of people attend HR tech, and coming in third of eight emerging technologies, that'll get you a lot of attention. But You know, the reason I picked them as one of my two-to-coach came out on the stage in Chicago, they're doing some really exciting and provocative things in the world of talent acquisition, selection, and talent management. Now, what they did was Roger got up on stage and demonstrated how they're taking the traditional assessment out of assessments, and that, that gets me excited because, like I said, on stage in Chicago... No candidate likes taking an assessment. It's it's like going to the dentist. Um, Now, what Roger showed everyone was how a candidate could share their Facebook profile with one of their customers, in this case, SAP, large global tech firm. And in a matter of at most two seconds, I mean, this was lightning fast, they had correlated that Facebook profile and that candidate's social exhaust with the years of intellectual property and science that the chemistry group has built before they launched these applications and aligned that candidate with the right jobs, the right groups, the right regions at SAP and gave that candidate amazing feedback right on the fly on an iPhone. Uh, Talk about an amazing candidate experience. And in the interview today, you'll learn about the chemistry group, their history, their science, their approach, what they're doing in talent acquisition, selection, and performance management. And I am really excited to have Roger and the chemistry group here for you today. But first, let's do the Market Minute. Okay, it's the Market Minute. A few observations on what's happening in the market as quickly as possible in, well, like a minute. I want to start with a few key findings from the latest HR wins research. You know, we surveyed uh, this fall, the survey wrapped up, report came out in uh, October, surveyed 974 employees in the U.S. First off, employers, you are using a ton of HR technology. On on average, uh, it's I'm going to say between 16 and 24 applications. If I go with the numbers out of the survey, it's 24. And I just, it's it's easy to get up to 15 or, or 20, it, it, but it's it never ceases to amaze me uh, how many applications, platforms, and apps companies are using in order to satisfy their HR stack uh, needs. And so it's it's really, really daunting. And, you know, because of that, the top 3 challenges listed by employers in their HR technology in the HR Wind survey were number 1 HR technology integration they they just they are so frustrated with getting data never mind between HR systems getting it from payroll to HRIS or from their HRAS and payroll suite into their ATS or ATS into anything else. It's it's they've sort of they're fed up and they're they're not going to take it anymore. But also getting data out of HR or into the HR systems from into and out of other systems, financials, uh, Salesforce, etc. Uh, you know, HR is the business of getting work done, and the legacy vendors. Not playing nice with each other and not playing nice with open integrations and APIs, application programming interfaces, is starting to really have an impact on usability and employee experience. That's going to hurt if it doesn't get fixed soon. And there are new vendors coming in that are fixing that problem. Number The number two issue was... Lack of automation and data visibility. Now that that's not a big surprise, given the number of systems they're forced that you're forced to use, and the lack of ability to integrate between them. Number three, too many systems. You know that's that's obvious. That's we've got too many systems needed in order to fill out a suite or fill out the HR technology stack. Anyhow. Here's some interesting stats to put next to this. If you go to the report, you'll find stats on what people are buying in the next 12 months and how many of those purchases represent replacements. I want to focus on one area. It's an area that I I didn't expect to see these sorts of changes. That's in the area of assessments, specifically personality, fit, and culture. Forty percent of the market will be buying assessments IE technology this year and of those purchases 15% represent a replacement i this is these are staggering numbers 40% of employers will be purchasing new assessment vendors this year and 15% of that is churn modern technology is going to disrupt the assessment and selection market this very soon. It's starting to happen now. Right now, the world of assessment is still filled largely with standardized tests and its deployment is highly manual. It's basically filled with online versions of the old paper assessments that we all had to suffer through. It's a terrible user experience for employees, for candidates on the talent acquisition front, and employers. It's it's overall bad experience. So what we have here is a commoditized market where price is driving a race to the bottom. Time is perfect for new modern technology based on validated assessment science, leveraging open application programming interfaces, APIs, and focusing on employee and candidate experience to come in and grab this market that's churning right now and hold on to it. And I'll tell you what, my guest today is trying to do just that. I've got Roger Philby from the chemistry group here, and that's the space that they fit on. I told you earlier that they're doing some provocative and exciting stuff, and we're going to find out all about it in just a second as we shift gears and get into this episode's interview. Okay, joining me today is Roger Philby. Uh, Roger is the CEO and founder of The Chemistry Group, which he founded in 2003. They're based in London. Um, they started as a consulting firm in 2003, and in the last few years, they've become a technology firm with the release of several innovative products based on their intellectual property that was developed through Uh, the uh, initial years in consulting. Uh, The chemistry group believes everyone should have an opportunity to be brilliant at work. The combination of their tech and award-winning intellectual property allows their global clients to predict the future performance of potential and existing employees to an unparalleled level of accuracy. Uh, Global organizations like SAP, Experian, uh, Diageo, and Pizza Hut are reducing their operational spend and increasing productivity by hiring great people and realizing the potential of their existing workforce through their scalable cloud platform. Um, I've met Roger. I've explored the chemistry group uh, products a little. Uh, I've been very impressed, and I'm excited to learn more today. Uh, Welcome, Roger. It's great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks, George. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks very much.
0: Any more you'd like to tell the listeners about yourself or about the chemistry group, sort of maybe maybe how it came about? or Yeah, or,
1: sure. So like, how it came about, I mean, it started really in the mid-'90s. I was the, um, I was the head of resourcing for Nortel Networks for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. I worked for a fabulous guy who's now head of talent for Brinks, I think, Wendell Sherrill. And um, <clears throat> I actually spent some time... In the sales business, so I became a salesperson for about a year at Nortel, and um, and it was really just seeing the different levels of engagement and performance within the global sales team, and and actually getting slightly obsessed with why that happens. How at the point of hire did we not know that an individual was going to be um, was going to knock it out of the park, and another individual just wouldn't engage and. And, and wouldn't meet their numbers and didn't quite get the, the experience out of working for Nortel that they did. And how another individual, you know, either left really quickly or, or, or just didn't enjoy it at all and was quite negative about the whole experience. And, and I suppose as a recruiter, I, I hadn't really contemplated the aftermath of, of hiring someone, which might sound a bit weird, but I, I, when you're in the organisation, because I spent all my time recruiting from, from coming out of university, seeing the um, the people either flounder or thrive um, got me obsessed because I'm a scientist by background, got me obsessed with how we could prevent that in the future um, and how we could, how, how as recruiters we could actually predict whether someone's gonna fly in an organization or not um, and actually at a deeper level I I suppose I started to think about the impact on society. And that's the thing really that drives chemistry. What drives chemistry is that if we can ensure that everyone finds their place to be brilliant, we fundamentally believe society will be better. And, And we think that's true because if we spend most of our time, our waking time in our jobs, then if our job is something we really value doing and we get value from it, and, um, and we look forward to going to work every day and we enjoy what we're doing, and we love what we're doing, then the conversations you have with your family when you come home, uh, we believe, are fundamentally different to uh, the conversations you'll have with your family um, if you're not enjoying your work or you're doing it because um, it pays the bills, um, which, you know, the truth is that's most people in the world. Um, right. And so, so we think, you know, you could change that. Um, and, um, and so that's why I started chemistry, um, really to set about that goal.
0: Right. Well, and that, you know, your background, um, and, you know, the time that the chemistry group has been addressing this issue, uh, while you're an emerging tech firm, Mm -hmm. you've got this long history of experience, uh, you know, helping employers, you know, define, I think you, you phrase it as, uh, define what great
1: is, is that what great looks like? Yeah, Yeah. it's trademarked, George. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure I don't get that (laughs) wrong again. Uh, so, um, so, you know, one of the things that, that I'm seeing as a big trend in the, in this world of HR and tech as, as they intersect, um, is, you know, where service and technology, are coming together to, to really offer employers uh, outcomes, not just software licenses. So, you know, what, when I'm normally talking to a founder about this, it's usually the tech that comes first, yeah. and they struggle with their customers not maximizing the opportunity they have with their product or platform. In your case. The service was here first, and the intellectual property was here first. Do you do you view that as an advantage, or you know, has it you know how has it helped when it comes to your your product?
1: Yeah, I think it's helped because um, it definitely helps engagement. You know, part of the challenge is anyone um, who's trying to talk about quality of hire and different conversations with your employees, and a real focus on talent and people at work will tell you is trying to get the attention of very busy executives whose money and time is focused, you know, on other activities um, and is, is difficult. But actually, that's what we've spent 10 years doing, which is what we call shifting the belief in organizations. So what we're really proud of is that we've always been very outcome focused. So we've always started with what's the business problem we're trying to solve, and then how can you solve that problem by really focusing on the human beings in your in your environment? Um, and so whether that be sales teams that are unproductive or has got inconsistent productivity, whether that be nursing communities that are delivering inconsistent levels of care within the National Health Service in the UK, um, whether that be call centres that are experiencing incredibly high attrition, and... Um, those, those business reasons are the reasons why people engage us, and then it's about shifting the belief of um, the, the sort of business guys and girls with problems that actually they can solve these problems by focusing on, on people and spending money on people as opposed to systems or processes. And because we came from that world where we were selling you know quite big consulting projects and getting that shift, I think it's really, really, really helped us um, with the outcomes from our technology. Um, I can you know, give you a couple of examples but the, I think you're right, we've always been outcome focused. So if you ask our psychologists, of which we have many, they will tell you we're outcome focused, not psychology focused. So in our realm we have very psych-led organisations, um, we tend to be business outcome led. So the psychology is just a means to get there. But you'll find a lot of our organisations um, That we work with, the psychology is, you know, not very visible to them.
0: Right, right. Now, you know, you mentioned uh, in your background, uh, you know, trying to uh, unlock the puzzle, uh, you know, find the key to, you know, making a great hire, uh, ensuring performance and business outcomes, and, and you know, I think we'll get into some of you know the uh, the science and the, the product as far as how you're doing that that today, but. But one of the any time I've sat down in in my background with an organization when I was you know recruiting or leading recruiting, and we got to the essence of what was really impacting performance, or in talent management, it was always a surprise. It was it was always it was never it was never what the manager thought it was. Uh, so it, you know and and there, but I'm I'm curious. So what do you have any examples of you know in that sales situation? Always. You know. Yeah. Okay, Okay. so
1: so what's really interesting is um, in defining what great looks like, and that's the real difference between uh, I I think what chemistry do and standardized test providers provide, which is all of our assessments that we provide for our client organizations are customized to that particular client's um, business context and then the role context. Um, And that's really important, and that's really important because the differences between what makes a high performer in one organization and and a high performer in another organization, even if those organizations are competitive and they exist selling similar products in a similar market, the difference between one's high performer and another high performer is always quite stark. Um, And so one of the surprising things, if you look at our data analysis, and this is since 2003, so 13 years worth of data on high, mid and low performers, across a variety of industries uh, in 31 countries um, is, you know, so f- first off, what we found is that previous experience is the least reliable predictor of future performance. Right. So if we take that, there's a surprise. So the previous experience is the least reliable predictor of future performance. Um, the second least reliable predictor of future performance is academic achievement. <laughs> so, so we've got two basic fundamentals that an entire recruitment industry, in the Western world anyway, is based on. Which is, what have you done before and where did you go to school? Right. Um, and every time we analyze, our data scientists and our psychologists do the data runs on here's our high performers, here's our mid performers and here's our low performers. And here's everything we know about them. And, um, and we do everything. We do previous experience, um, we'll do intellectual capacity, their value set, their motivations, their behaviours. We'll look at their schools and their educational background. Um, so we'll look at all of that. Um, and um, and we do analysis and we're looking for causal stuff. So we're looking for what's causal to high performance, what's causal to low performance. And in every analysis, George, previous experience is the least reliable predictor of future performance. Um, and... Um, And what's really interesting is when I make that statement and I'm doing a talk to business leaders, Um, what's really interesting is I very rarely, if ever, get pushback. Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I get that. I've hired a ton of people who, based on their resume, looked like they knew what they were doing. Based on the interview, they convinced me they knew what they were doing. Then they entered my environment and they didn't apply that knowledge. And, And that's the thing that we're kind of obsessed about. How does that happen? How does someone with the right, on paper and in interview, the right skills, the right experience, they may have been doing it for 10 or 15 years, then not apply that knowledge within the context of my company and the role I'm asking them to do? That, I, you know, is perplexing. Um, and, and so if it's not previous experience and it's not academic achievement, what we have to determine for every organization we work for is what is it? what is it that defines and predicts performance in a particular role in a particular organization? If it's not those two things, what is it? And that's really where chemistry's intellectual property and experience and data sets comes in.
0: Well that, you know, you mentioned that it's, it's a customized uh, solution and, you know, I've, I've done some research Uh, one of the areas I focus a lot on is culture and and engagement and culture is not one size fits all. And, and when I, the reason I go to culture is because when I think of fit, you know, that's what I think of. And uh, the standardized uh, approach tries to put everybody in the same box. So that resonates with me and, um, and the data from the uh, employers um, you know, it it resonates with them and your examples. I mean, I've, I've, whether I was leading uh, a large sales large sales and marketing teams on the technology side you know I've hired the top performer from a competitor um, and watched them fail yeah. <laughs> and um, and worked really hard to try to make them successful at the same time and I think anybody who's led for a while has had similar experience so it, it makes good common sense to me but but there's a there's something about you know recruiting where everybody falls back to a list of requirements that sounds like the uh, reverse look at a CV or you know a resume, and that's um, it, this sounds like you know did you say shifting the beliefs? Is it yeah, is it,
1: shifting the beliefs. So how do you how do you take a line manager who has hired um, a, a specific way? Um, I'll give you a really good example. So we work with um, LexisNexis, who are part of um, Reed, uh, Reed Elsevier, the big business information group. Sure. So um, you know, this was a great piece of work. They're fabulous people over there, and um, and they were doing a turnaround. They were doing a sales turnaround. Their business um, had been selling law books to librarians, you know, and and they needed to start selling end-to-end technology solutions to partners and. And so the sales force, you know, not untypically had to go from selling point product to selling a combination of products that looked like a solution. Um, So how did you do that? But actually, when we started to look at, you know, what made people successful at, at doing that versus selling point products, what we saw actually, of course, it wasn't how much they knew about law products or business information. It was how they could, you know, how they could build the relationship with the partners versus the librarian who typically bought their subscriptions. Um, How curious they were at understanding how the law practice worked and how this information might be useful. Um, And so all we did was worked with the existing line managers. So it wasn't a case of you swap out the line managers. You um, you work with the existing line managers. And and what you do in the What Great Looks Like process is you create a hypothesis. And the hypothesis is what the line managers believe to be true. Um, and and we have a process of getting all of that information out of them that's really interactive and cool, and they love it, and it's great. And back to the consulting bit, back to the ten years of consulting. So we have this amazing process of getting what they believe to be true. Now, the thing is, that's a hypothesis. They believe it to be true. Now what we need to do is use science and data to test the hypothesis. It's like a school, you know, we designed it like a school science experiment. What's your hypothesis? and then test it and then iterate your hypothesis into something that we call it ratifying what great looks like. So, you know, we asked the hiring managers what they believed to be true and they gave us a bunch of stuff and we give them a framework for it um, called the five box model, um, which is our IP. And then we tested it. We tested it with with existing people in their organization, but we also tested it with millions and millions of data rows that we have on high, mid and low performers that will be contextually in similar environments trying to do similar things. And we bring all that data to bear on their hypothesis. We then go back and go, hey, this stuff appears to be true. This stuff doesn't appear to be true. I.e., These biases that you have don't appear to be true. Here's the data that supports them. And data shifts belief. Um, I can't just tell them. I have to provide some... Some objective data sets that both internally, their own data, and externally, benchmark, contextually benchmark data to shift their belief. What's fascinating about that is we agreed with them that we should change the hiring process to hire only what great looks like and nothing else. And these guys, they were great, signed up to it, um, and, um, and the business transformed. Um, the, sales, the sales team transformed. Just one little thing, Um, and this happens every time. Um, So prior to redefining what great looks like and putting these new pair of glasses on, the hiring managers, they had 8% of their hires were female into that sales team. A year later, 41% were female. Same hiring managers, same business, new set of glasses that only cared about what great looked like for that role. At the same time, you know, new product sales increased by 195% so the shift to solutions just went through the roof. Um, and so you, you start to really transform businesses through hiring people who are super engaged, high performing, and that just, you know, if you can do that, um, especially in, you know, we, the attrition fell by 50%. So in high attrition environments, if you get this really right quite well, which is why it works well in call centers and sales teams. Um, you can really transform the business quite quickly because, of course, the attrition is quite high. So you can introduce the right talent um, right. E- even faster. So. Right.
0: Now, you know that you're you're touching on the amount of data that you're uh, that you're collecting and, and the impact on the quality. Are you uh, you're are you tying that to. Uh, ROI and and cost uh, as well okay so
1: again you know one of the things we've found in this shifting belief is um, you know despite the fact that businesses and people in businesses are, are the most important thing and we fundamentally believe that still you know we find talent acquisition organizations and HR organizations really struggling to get the, um, the business, if that's the correct term, to really invest in in this stuff. So one of the things we work hard on is and we've got some amazing um, business case tools that we work with talent organizations and HR organizations on the sort of budget justifications for some of their work. Um, but I can think of one example over here in the UK um, where we're total gain share. So um, it is a big healthcare business um, who have healthcare advisors. We did some really innovative work in our National Health Service around um, creating a tool that measures compassion in a human being and how that manifests itself bedside with a patient in the level of care that's given. Um, okay. um, which we did in response to a big scandal over here um, as something we felt we should do and we gave the tools to the National Health Service. So um, we there was a there was a big healthcare business over here, private healthcare business. They're private equity owned. Their single biggest problem was the cost of attrition. Um, their attrition is running at over 100% per annum in healthcare workers. So the people who look after, you know, your granny, my granny, um, if they move into a, a healthcare home. And um, and so the business model we have there with them is that um, we only get paid when their attrition falls. And so it's a total game share. So they um, they cut us a check every six months, Um, and um, you know I'm pleased to say that we've had um, we have had a check every six months as their attrition is starting to fall um, as as a result of hiring the right people who stay who are getting fulfilment from the job the organisation are valuing and then it's you know it's self fulfilling once the once we can get the inertia of the right people. Then more of the right people are working with more of the right people in there. And the whole thing um, starts to ratchet. So, um, yeah, in that model, we haven't been paid anything or we weren't paid anything until that first check was cut after six months. Um, wow. I, I'm
0: not I don't know many vendors who uh, will step up for that sort of performance based uh, uh, payment, that's some confidence in uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, what just you really, is really, because we know it works. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> now, but I think along the way, something...
1: My FD, I have to say, you know, I like to think we're enlightened, my my FD um, is still shaking. Um, I think when they... <laughs> he only stopped shaking when the first check was cut after six months. But it's, uh, it's a happy man now.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Well, um, you've got to take risks in business. Exactly. Uh, um but along the way there, I think you also slipped in that you gave the the solution um, to the National
1: Health Service. Yeah, that's right. So um, it's a big deal. One of one of the things that I found about um, attracting and keeping really cool, but you know, we just we really are a bunch of geeks who think that you know people deserve to have a place where they can um, fulfill, be fulfilled at work and. And therefore, in order to keep people like that engaged, highly curious people engaged, is you have to give them stuff that isn't just about making you know bigger companies bigger. And, and, um, and, and we do that by finding projects that we can engage our, both our intellectual property, our technology, and more importantly, the human resource we have in, in trying to do some cool stuff that has a societal impact. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that we did two and a half years ago, was there was a big scandal in the NHS, the National Health Service, which is a brilliant institution, um, and um, where they were hiring technically competent, and this is a simplification of George, but they were hiring technically competent nurses, um, but what they were finding was the levels of care on ward maybe weren't as consistent as they should be. And, and we see this in business, right? Uh, we right. see this in business, but let's simplify even further what our tool basically does is you can take two nurses who can draw blood from a patient um, and and they can technically both draw blood from a patient what what we're interested in is how they do it so and we see this in jobs all the time I may be technically competent at answering the phone um, in a call center I know what I'm doing I know what to do however if my consumer brand is one of care I'm interested not in can you answer the phone and go through the systems like we've trained you I'm interested in how and the same is true of nursing I can be a technically competent nurse and I can technically draw blood and I can technically give you your meds on time however when you describe the NHS and care being technical competent is not enough Uh, and what we found is there is a definite difference between um, people who report, the patients who report back that this nurse genuinely cared versus this nurse knew what they were doing. Um, and so what we did was we created an assessment tool that, that measures compassion in a human being and how that manifests itself as a behavior in an NHS establishment, award. ward. Um, wow. And and that's something we're now rolling out across the NHS. Actually, we're finding it very difficult to give it to them for free. But we we've got um, <laughs> the largest NHS trust in London is has been using it for two and a half years, um, and um, and and we're slowly now rolling it out to all the other NHS trusts. But we do that because it's the right thing to do, because it's intellectually interesting, and because it will make a societal difference.
0: Um, well, that's that's fantastic. Uh... You know, uh, that's just what a what a great what a great story um, to to tell. Uh, and,
1: and the great thing is, you do these things because you do you think they're the right things to do. But you learn so much. You know, we've got two and a half years worth of data now on compassion in human beings, and and behavioural sets in human beings. So you know, it was a worthwhile thing to do. But you know, we've learned so much from it. And of course, clients are interested in it. Um, we've learned loads about care and, you know, call centres, so you take it into that care homes role. So, you know, actually you do these things because they're the right thing to do and then you find it kind of shines back on you because um, you learn so much um, from doing them. The amount we learned, we did a similar thing for Help for Heroes, which is our VAL war vets um, charity in the the UK, because one of the things that really concerned us was how does a uh, war vet communicate to the corporate world their equity, their job equity in the marketplace. Um, So we created a tool that can do that because we measure potential in a human being so we're not just interested in what you're doing but we have the ability to measure what you can do, what you have the potential to do not just what you've done. And if you can communicate that potential in a way a corporate organization understands with the right set of language then you can make these people shine in a job market currently where they're excluded um, and because they are what great looks like for some organization, for an organization, not all, of course, but for some. And it's how you communicate that to the recruiter or the hiring manager within that organization that becomes really important. Um, and so, you know, that's another thing that you, you kind of throw it out, guys, and they're like, you know, oh, this is just fascinating. Um, so, yeah.
0: That wow well that's great that's uh thank you for sharing those uh those stories now switching gears just just a yeah. little um we, we've talked a lot about performance mm-hmm. and uh you know i i i talk to a lot of employers and uh uh read a lot about the disruption of performance management big global brand, brands like general electric or uh, have reportedly, you know, thrown away yeah. their Accenture has done the same thing. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so, given the world that you're in, are, are you? What are you seeing for trends there? With with you work with a lot of large global employers. What do you see? Here?
1: Actually, we work with Accenture on their transition. So um, ah, actually, okay. they they came and um, gave a lecture to our clients in the UK on why they did what they did, and and um, I was fascinated by it. So, look, there's, there's, I think, two routes this is going. You know, let's not be, um, let's not be too, um, what's the word, altruistic about it. I think in some areas, the big consulting organisations and the big operational organisations worked out how much money was being spent on performance management, right? So, if you, you know, I think you, these companies definitely did an analysis that went, geez, how much billing time is being taken up by having, performance meetings that probably don't add any value anyway. So there's, <laughs> I think there's genuinely a bit of, well this is productive time, how could we be more productive? But I also think there's, and I think it's bigger than that, but I also think that there is a definite um, response to um, actually just having a decent conversation with another human being is much better than hierarchically doing some sort of performance management technique. And and I think what we're seeing is a lot of organisations going, do you know what, what you need to have with your hiring manager is just a great conversation. And and if you have a great conversation about your aspirations, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, then then that's a damn sight better than forcing you into some kind of normed distribution of performance, which clearly has an ulterior motive. Um, And so I I think it's a hugely great thing. My challenge is, okay, so what are you measuring and what data are you using to have that great conversation? And and I think um, that's my my worry, which is, you know, I I think it's super great, but um, what tools are you giving the line managers now in order to frame that great conversation? In the absence of anything... Um, then i don't I'm not sure anything will happen um, and um, and we're seeing a lot of actually um, tools and technology being used to really help the hiring managers or the line managers in this instance frame those conversations. So on the whole, I think it's a really great thing. Um, I'm a little concerned with, okay if you're not doing that, what are you doing? Um, so is this a cyclical thing? Will we see it come back around? Um, but I do think there's some quite cool technologies that are helping um, with um, with these great conversations, and I do fundamentally believe that. I've always believed that a line manager trying to be a coach is an expectation too far. A coach is a profession. It's a job, um, and one you train for and you get qualifications for and you practice, and um, and I've always felt that, asking a line manager to be a line manager and a coach is is an expression. Having the expectation that a line manager has a great conversation with their employee um, about their aspirations and where they're heading and how that line manager can help them get there, that's a really cool um, aspiration and a, a realistic expectation. So I fully support what's, what's going on. Uh, cool.
0: Interestingly, cool. so- the
1: Accenture one, the interesting story about Accenture is that no one in Accenture knew that was going to happen. The CEO just publicly went on a video call with analysts and announced it. Um, and because he realized, I think, that the resistance would be so strong internally because they've done it for so long, he had to publicly announce it to shock the organization into dropping it. That's, that was the talk the lady was giving. That's, the lady was that's one way said, to do that. You know, we, we had no idea. We were all just, you know, watching him. Do a video call with analysts, and he announced that we were scrapping our performance management, <laughs> which I think is a brilliant piece of leadership. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, there, you know, those organizations are so uh, so huge that uh, it may have been the best way to get the message out. Uh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so. um in the interest of of time, uh, let me ask you one last quick question. So we've talked about a lot of things, uh, uh, defining you know what great looks like. We've talked about performance. We've talked about uh, fit and we've, analytics and and um, ROI. Uh, now I've we started talking about how as a consulting firm you developed uh, products. I want to give you an opportunity to frame you know, what those, you know, quickly what those offerings are uh, that you support with your, with your, uh, consultants. Cool.
1: So, um, look, we do three things. Um, we help organizations define what great looks like. So that is creating a common language to defining high-performing talent in your business, high-performing people in your business. And, And if you can just use one language, um, then, you know, one of the things that we find with recruiters and hiring managers, for example, is, part of the problem is they're using a different set of language to describe what great looks like. So, you know, you'll recognize this, George. You get the recruiters who are like, oh, the hiring manager's driving me mad. I've sent them five resumes and they've come back and said, no, they're all no good. Um, And I can't get out of him or her why. Um, And and then the hiring manager says, you know, I'll know it when I see it, Um, which is no good to me, the recruiter, because that doesn't help, really. Um, So one of the huge upsides in defining what great looks like is you just create this common language which every stakeholder uses to describe talent. So that's the first thing we do is we use data and insight to define what great looks like and create a common language for all stakeholders in the organization. So that's the first thing we do. Um, And and that is a piece of consulting combined with data analytics, uh, a bit of science, And, and that's, you know, generally a four week process. And we've done this for Vodafone, SAP, Experian, across every function, British Airways, finance, HR, sales, marketing, consulting. So you define what great looks like. And of course, that's different for every client. Um, And then once you've done that, our select platform enables you at scale to hire to what great looks like. Um, So we have online screening tools that integrate into existing HR tech like ATS like Taleo or over uh, Brass Ring or WCN or any of the big players um, success factors, um, which SAP use of course. Um, so, so we have an online platform that is that allows you to integrate into your existing HR tech to customise the experience for your business and, and your applicants and is you know super mobile friendly and and all that stuff. And and in that process, by the way, George, we give live feedback to the applicant based on what they're telling us about themselves, which again is really a response to candidates really wanting to know how am I doing and why didn't I get the job? Well, our platform tells them why they didn't get the job because we have an objective view of what great looks like, if the client wants. Some clients don't want that, most of them do. So, so you can hire to it. So define what great looks like, and then we have this platform that enables you to hire to it at scale. Um, and then we have um, something called a Perform, which is the same cloud-based platform, but this enables you to do a gap analysis of where your existing employees are compared to what great looks like, and present you with a talent plan in order to close the gap with your employees. Um, And so that's what we do, those three things. Define what great looks like, hire to it, do a gap analysis, and develop to it. Um, And that's it.
0: Wow, uh, and that's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> um so in uh, in closing i'm wondering you know if if any of the listeners are interested in finding finding uh, the chemistry group uh and learning more uh where can they find the company and online
1: yeah sure so online we're the chemistrygroup.com so thechemistrygroup.com um and um you can you'll find if you go to the website you'll find all of our various social channels on there youtube um, Twitter, Instagram, etc. We have um, the chemistry blog on there as well where we do a lot of um, thought leadership stuff. So um, that's cool. And we have a podcast on iTunes. If you search for The Chemistry Group, you'll be able to find that on, on iTunes as well. Um, and you know, my email address is just rogerp, R-O-G-E-R-P, at thechemistrygroup.com. Um, if people want to get in contact with me, I'd love to meet up with them. Um, and uh, our business is growing um Quite aggressively within the US so um, you know we currently have offices in in Costa Mesa in California and in New York and again if if anyone wants to reach out to me and wants to meet any in in any location in the US they're more than happy to um, but yeah do get in touch
0: um, Same. Fantastic, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, all of your time today and all of uh, your insight. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation, and thank you so much. No
1: no problem, Bill. Thanks a lot for your time.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening in to HR Market Watch. If you are interested in any of the research I referenced today, you can access it and more for free always at HRWins.com under Reports and Calendar. I want to thank Roger Philby and the Chemistry Group for their time today. Check them out at TheChemistryGroup.com. You've been listening to HR Market Watch. Learn more about the trends and the technology we discussed at hrwins.com and find more HR Market Watch episodes on the HR Happy Hour Network at hrhappyhour.net. Thanks, everyone.